So we're back for another Westminster Roundup. January is over, it's February, it's spring, the daffodils are coming out. It is snowing, but at least it's supposed to be spring. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was sunny yesterday, so we're getting there. Well, Megan, look, it's been another busy month in Westminster. And what, what is your biggest story from the month? My biggest story is all the updates that are going on around the Integrative Review, which mm. is formerly known as the Integrated Security, Defense and Foreign Policy Review. Rolls off the tongue. It does, really. <laughs> but luckily for us, we just call it the Integrative Review. Much easier. It is. Um, so, as many of you will know, this is a five-yearly process in which the UK looks over its defense and the different climates that are going on and how it's supposed to react to these new climates that are coming out. Um, and so I think for this year's uh, security review, we'll see two real big focuses. Mm-hmm. The first one will be on the UK's new role as it leaves the EU and starts building relationships outside of this union. And the second one will be the reemergence of the focus on great power competition that we've seen. So we've seen the shift away from the counterterrorism of the last two decades yeah. and more of a focus on states like Russia and Iran who are starting to be more perceived mm-hmm. as a threat again. Um, and in this year's integrated review, I would say that there are three things that we're really quite curious about and trying to find out more about. So the first one is which personalities will come into play. Absolutely. Um, so this is both in regards to people who are behind the scenes, but also the people who are actually leading it more formally. Um, so it was announced two days ago that Sir Alex Ellis will be leading on it from the cabinet's office side. Um, and I think it's quite telling that he's a director general, or used to be, of the department for exiting the, the EU. Um, yeah. I think it says quite a lot about where he's coming from. And then, of course, behind the scenes, we have Dominic Cummings, who is on everyone's mind at the moment, it seems, <laughs> um, who will be very, who has been very crit- critical of defense spending, and he's promised to push quite a lot on this, um, on MOD spending. Mm. It's, and it's quite interesting, because I, I suppose there's sort of different viewpoints in the media about who's kind of won in this yeah, tug absolutely. of war between Cummings and uh, other civil servants. But, uh, I mean, some... Uh, articles were saying that Cummings had won and then others were saying well no and the Cummings had won because it's going to be a six month review yeah isn't it and and it's going to be in time for the uh, spending review which is set for the autumn um, but others sort of saying that well these personalities that have been brought in suggesting yeah. that perhaps maybe he hasn't had his full way with with certain things so very interesting definitely and I'd say the second question is how, on how fused this review will be. So we've, again, we've seen this big effort in Whitehall to have more fusion between the different departments and try to really have more of a coordination between the UK's different components as it reacts to events in the world. Yeah. And you've got um, to plug your, your latest report. Oh, we should. Know, so we have a November. report on this called Fusion Doctrine in Five Steps, which you can find on our website. Absolutely. It's a and good it's read. And, it and it actually, you know, to, to Megan's point about, you know, needing to be more fused, it, it introduces and kind of provides uh, the preliminary analysis on how effective fusion doctrine is being with a focus yeah. on, as you say, remote warfare operations in, in Africa. Absolutely. Um, but in spite of these commitments to have more fusion, we've already seen there's been quite a few rumors of competition between the different departments, but also within the departments. So, for example, within the Ministry of Defense, we've heard that there are, there's already competition between the different branches of the military trying to have um, enough focus on their own needs and resources. And that's already creating a few clashes here and yeah, there. So it's yeah. quite telling, I think. Um, and the final point that I think is quite interesting, especially to us, is how much they will actually bring in external feedback. So again, there's been a huge commitment to really have a lot of feedback from external actors in civil society. But it's quite unclear what form that will take and who will be asked to participate. And there's not much coming out from the government about mm-hmm. when that will start. And so no, we're still just no. all kind of waiting for that process to begin, Yeah. Um, even though we have quite a lot to say and quite a few findings from a report, for example. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's interesting because 
there's been a lot of talk about the the Labour Party's strategic review in, in 1998, mm. led by the Secretary of State for Defence, George Robertson at the time, which is, is kind of been described, at least in media reporting, that it's it's the blueprint yeah. to which the government is, is hoping to uh, set the parameters and the approach to this review. And given that that review was known for quite wide consultation, perhaps maybe relative to other <laughs> reviews, Absolutely. perhaps, yeah. uh, but, you know, still quite positive with engaging with civil society groups and actually also what the public thinks yeah. about defence. I think that was one of the key uh, components of that review as well, understanding what do the public really want the, the UK to be prioritising uh, for national security. So, yeah, I think it's, there's some, I don't know if you agree, but I think there's some positive signs in, in the fact that they're hoping to be much more consultative um, and that in a way they've responded to previous criticisms for not being um, as open uh, to external input. Uh, so I think that's that, that's a good thing. I think it is very promising and it's good to see that they prioritise that enough to make a commitment to have more external feedback yeah. but it does remain to be seen how much that's going, going to actually yeah. happen. I think that's very true as well and I think you know the, the time limit on the review exactly. is you know puts a big question mark over yeah. how broad-ranging this can be because there's a time constraint uh, and also that while it makes sense to sort of s to set the um, priorities national security priorities and then think about how uh, you you can cost them uh, actually maybe pegging it to uh, or anchoring it to the spending review actually means that it becomes again just about money yeah exactly uh, you know there is that risk but um, yeah there are there are positive signs it looks good for now at least yes yeah, uh, so watch this space. Definitely. And Liam, what's your main story of this month? Well, look, I don't want to repeat too much of what we talked about in the last uh, podcast in, in January, but uh, we did discuss the imminent uh, reshuffle. Uh, and uh, over the last month, we've seen this, this reshuffle. And I think most interesting from our perspective, putting aside obviously the the, the resignation of the Chancellor of the Exchequer and a very young MP from Richmond now taking up that, that post, which I think will have implications for yeah. defence uh, and, and what that will mean with the spending review Definitely. and as part of the budget, which is happening on the 11th of March. But in particular, in, a particular interest, I think, is that we've seen more signs that this government under Boris Johnson may be a little more serious than previous governments about looking at the relationship between the FCO and DFID. Now, it's also important to note that we have seen DEXEU uh, be uh, closed down. It's, it's been closed down, um, even though we're not quite out of the EU yet. Yeah. But uh, that, that department's gone, which we, and it seems like we've seen quite a few ministers um, increase or at least sit, uh, jump into roles uh, in the FCO and DFID. Uh, for example, James Dudridge, who was at DEXEU is now the Minister for Africa. Uh, and all it should be noted, all these roles now between the FCO and DFID are joint, except mm -hmm. for the uh, most senior roles, the Secretary of State. Uh, Dominic Raab remains at the Foreign Office, but Alok Sharma, who was the Secretary of State for DFID, has now moved to business. He's the Business Secretary. Uh, and also the, the, the guy that will be leading on COP26 plans. Lucky man, that's yeah. a big job. Um, but we've also got this this individual called Anne-Marie Trevelyan, who has actually risen quite quickly up yeah, the greasy has. pole over the last couple of years. She was elected in 2015. Uh, she's a, a passionate Brexiteer. She was part of the, the Vote Leave campaign and has been quite sceptical, which is why it's very interesting, about 
the UK's aid spending. So these developments, although we haven't seen uh, a sort of media speculation or suggesting a, a formal merger, we've definitely seen uh, the, 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 I suppose DFID and FCO take a, a step forward in yeah. perhaps looking at maybe greater uh, collaboration with fo- the, the Foreign Office, perhaps setting more clearly what uh, the, the, the Department of International Development will, will be doing. So I think, you know, for many different organisations, this will uh, obviously be quite concerning because I think, you know, DFID has got a very good reputation worldwide. Yeah. We're, we're very much known for our um, contribution to humanitarian issues overseas. But, you know, there has been developments over the last couple of years, for example, changes to uh, the way that ODA can be spent, overseas development and aid, um, in terms of providing uh, or at least allowing for this to look at elements that might be more security related. And yeah, of course there are, there are concerns about the securitization securitization of, of aid spending. Um, but I and mean, I'll just add there, like, yeah. I, I, we've been saying for a long time as well, there doesn't seem to be a reason to merge the three, three departments of FCO, DFID and I was just going to say, yeah. Um, because they do each bring something very specific and very different to the table. It's just about finding ways that those departments can work together and share language and yeah. share culture um, and especially share planning processes as well. Yeah. And so trying to have more of a system for collaboration rather than actually merging yeah. seems yeah. to be the best way forward. Yeah. No, and I think you're right. And I think what perhaps many within NGO sector and others would argue is that something that's quite unique about DFID is that, yes, of course, there are political drivers about mm-hmm. how aid is spent. We've got obviously the CWSF, etc., but that it hasn't always been driven by politics alone. You know, it, it's about reducing and addressing poverty internationally, as well, and that's been a sort of a pre a, a preeminent sort of uh, raise the raison d'etre of, of of DFID. So I think there is also concern that that will diminish yeah. with the shift. And I think you're absolutely right about what what actually is the purpose of integrating or more integration with the FCO and DFID, what do we want to achieve? Because we've seen that the National Security Council, since it was set up in 2010, formally at least, by under David Cameron, um, that that has kind of set the strategic direction for government and then yeah. that feeds down. Now, you've obviously in this re- recent report uh, addressed the fact that this doesn't always work uh, as, as well as it should. but. If you're going to then allow for the FCO to be sort of the, the driver of the UK's international foreign policy or international policy, um, then what does that mean for the NSC? And then you've got all this sort yeah. of um, the unclear sort of relationship between these departments. So I think we've got to be careful about not only, you know, undermining the, the value that DFID brings, but also that by allowing the FCO, and of course there's a debate about it needing more money to to be a diplomatic powerhouse for the UK. That, that's absolutely a valid argument. But in terms of saying the strategic direction for policy across government, is uh, empowering the FCO in that way the right way to go forward when you've already got sort of the NSC itself at the top of government? Absolutely. I think it's very interesting. Yes. I think that's it for today as well. It is. Well, thank you very much for listening. I hope you'll join us next month. Uh, and... Uh, why don't you subscribe or even yeah, give us a comment or something? We'd, we'd really like to hear uh, your feedback. And we've also been developing our tech here at the Warpod. Uh, we have uh, got a, she- a pop shield uh, and we're looking to expand with some new technology to make it a little bit easier to listen to. Because I know we had a bit of feedback. It's not always the best quality of sound. Uh, so we're taking that on and hopefully in the future uh, it will be easier to listen to and music to your ears in the future. 
great. Thank you very much.